gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. Our thanks to all the people who have supported the podcast throughout the early parts of 2023 and into uh, the past. Of course, for the years that we've done this podcast, we're coming up on our eighth year of doing uh, the Hall of Justice, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, over the summer, last summer, uh, I was raving about a series that was on HBO. Well, I saw it on HBO Max called Winning Time. It was the story of the uh, the first year of the championship run for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, uh, truth be told, I have another podcast it's called Sports with Friends. And on it, uh, a good friend of mine, a guy who's been on that podcast a lot, wrote the book about which the show is based on. He wrote a book called Showtime. His name is Jeff Perlman, and we did an episode of my other podcast with him. Upon that, I found all kinds of people who were part of Winning Time, including our guest today. And it turns out he's just a great guy. Um, Spencer Garrett plays ch played Chick Hearn and plays uh, Chick Hearn, the longtime Lakers radio announcer, uh, in the show Winning Time. And then... When we started talking about coming on the podcast, I did my research because that's what a professional does. And in it, I found out he's been in everything. And we have so much to talk to Spencer Garrett about. He's about to embark on another project. So this was our uh, chance to sit down and break bread uh, virtually here uh, on the podcast. Spencer Garrett, thanks so much for doing this. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Good to be with you. Let's talk about winning time for a second. Yeah, um, yeah. How did you you get the role and and and, and more so, um, you know, given the fact that you live in, in California, were you a, a big Laker fan? Did you did you know a lot about Chick Hearn and did you know a lot about the Lakers mystique before you got into the show? Uh, a two parter. Um, all right. The second I'll answer the second part first, which is, uh, yes, I grew up here uh, in L.A. in, in uh, Santa Monica, Brentwood area, West L.A., Grew up as a Laker fan, grew up uh, at Pat Riley, lived uh, eight houses down the street from me. Jerry West lived about a quarter of a mile from me. Would oh, I would wow. see both of them at uh, uh, the local uh, market where I bagged groceries as a kid. There's a place called the Brentwood Country Mart, which is uh, a, a fancy, uh, a fancy uh, sort of farmer's market in uh in West LA. And I would see them there all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a Laker fan. I grew up listening to Chick on, uh, on the on the radio and obviously watching him on Channel Nine on TV and I mean his voice he he was the voice him and him and Vin Scully they were the voice sure. of not just not just LA sports but really just of LA to a certain extent I mean you were in your car driving from one place to another we live in our cars out here and you'd flip on the radio to listen to a Laker game and there's Chick 
calling the game on uh, on KLAC and, uh, you know, or there's Vin Scully. So he was an iconic voice and an iconic presence. And um, so I was very much aware of his uh, of his lore and his mystique and uh, uh, and how what 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 a what a wonderful asset he was to the team. I mean, he was really kind of the heart and soul of the Lakers. Uh, if you you know, if you listen to um, I, I did when I got the gig, I did just a, a voluminous research and read his his autobiography. Obviously, how much, how much fun must have that have been? Oh, it was a blast because I got the gig. I was cast. And then I just went down the rabbit hole on YouTube and just watched game after game after game and listened to him to get the voice and the cadence and the rhythm and the uh, and the way he spoke and all of the chickisms and everything. I just wanted to get him in in my body as much as possible, you know. And um, so that was a hell of a lot of fun. And then obviously re reading Perlman's book. I mean, Jeff is one of the great sports writers of all time and uh, Showtime is a great book. And so there were a lot of great chick anecdotes in there and then i was lucky enough to before we shot the pilot uh the answer to your question how i got the gig i auditioned i auditioned yeah. with uh, i don't know how many hundred hundreds of guys but uh i went in and it was just kind of one of those things where i walked out of that room and i thought this i just felt such it just had such a good vibe about it i felt like this is mine to lose and yeah. i found out about uh, probably about a week later that that i gotten it and um so it was, uh, and I'd met Adam McKay a year earlier at uh, the screening of the movie Vice. And I walked up to That's him. That's a great and I, movie. Great movie. And I introduced myself to him. And um, and, I, and he said, uh, did you audition for me on this? And I said, <laughs> no, Adam, I didn't. I said, I would love to have been in this movie. And he said, well, you're on my radar now. And then cut to a year later, I went in to read for Winning Time and um and got the job and and uh you know I, I i walked up to adam and gave him a hug and uh I, you know i was so i was so thrilled to be a part of it but i found out uh so i found out about two weeks after the audition and then i right around that time found out that my agent uh, a guy named harry abrams an old school hollywood agent who's been around forever worked with my father at mca in the 50s a million years ago Real old school, old timer, great, great guy. And he was Chick's agent for 40 years. And so Harry said, you want to meet his family? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I set up a meeting with his granddaughter, Shannon. Um, and wow. we sat down over lunch and she brought scrapbooks and photographs and uh, and all sorts of stories about her granddad. And so that sort of began my journey of delving into his world and 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 playing him and um, you know, and it's been a, it's been a, a, just a great ride ever since, but I had, we, sh we, I had about a month to prep before we shot the pilot. And then we shot the pilot in August of 2019, we got picked up a few months later and then COVID hit and we shut down for an entire year. So I had like, I had a year to prepare huh. before we started up season one. So I had a lot of time to watch a lot of games on YouTube. And by the time we got going, I'd gotten to the point where I could screen mirror a, a, a game like a you know a Lakers Celtics championship game for example sure I'd pop it up on YouTube and then put it on my TV screen and uh and then I would turn the volume down and just call the game in my living room like a like a loon uh so, so fun. yeah it was a lot of fun that's, 
That's research. Uh, the cast of this, I mean, it, it, it's casted brilliantly. Crazy. Jason Clark as Jerry West is incredible. John C. Riley as Jerry Buss is ridiculous. I mean, the guy who steals the show to me is uh, Quincy Isaiah. Oh, uh, man. Plays Magic Johnson. I, he literally embodies Magic Johnson. And if, if, if that's not who Magic Johnson is, that's who I want Magic Johnson in my head to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, Adrian Brody, Sally Field, Jason Siegel, oh, Sally uh, the wonderful Solomon Solomon Hughes, who plays Kareem, on and on and on. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. This cast. I sit down in the makeup trailer to put you know Chick's face on. I mean, I'm I'm in prosthetic makeup for two and a half hours, and I lean over and and there's Sally Field sitting next to me, and I pinch myself and just go, you know, this is what a what a what a fun wonderful job and what a wonderful life that I get to do this and um, get to be get to work with these great actors. I've known Jason Clark for a long time. I've known John C about 30 years. I did not know Adrian, um, but was a fan of his work. And so, you know, you're around people that are so that are that have been around for so long and been doing work at such a high level that it elevates your game and makes you better. So Hopefully it's made me a better actor you know, over the last couple of seasons. What a great experience. I'm just, I'm so happy for you. Um, Thanks. Just uh, tell me about how your decision to get into acting and what was it about acting that appealed to you? Uh, how much of a challenge? I mean, like I said, I look, look back at your, your resume. You've been in a thousand things, but I'm sure that there's been a lot of things that you haven't been in. Yeah, tell me, tell me about the process to get into it. What was, what was your passion? I don't, well, you know, first of all, I, I don't think about, at this point, I've been doing it 40 years. I don't think about the things that the woulda, coulda, shoulda. I don't think about the things that I that I could have been in. There have been several, a lot of things that I, I wish I was a part of, but I've been blessed, man. I've been, you know, I've got, I've been making my living as an actor for, you know, 38 years. That's wild. Um, so it's been pretty good. But I, I my grandparents were actors. Um, they had a theater on a showboat on the Mississippi river in St. Louis. This sounds like I'm making it up, but it's, it's true. Uh, the goldenrod showboat, which was docked in St. Louis and there was a theater on it. And my mom, uh, who is an actress still yeah. Kathleen Nolan and her sister, Nancy Devlin, they were all raised on the showboat and the showboat would go up and down the Mississippi river and they would stop in little towns along the Mississippi, Joplin, Hannibal, St. Joe, and people from the town would come onto the boat and they would do a play and then they would move on to the next town. And that's my, my mom left home at 16 on a Greyhound bus, went to New York, waited tables for three years in New York and got cast as Wendy and Peter Pan on Broadway. Wow. Um, and, uh, and my aunt was there as well at the American Academy of Dramatic Art and doing Broadway shows as well. And so, I mean, it's, it's been in my blood forever. And so when I, decided to I I literally kind of woke up one morning and said okay I'll try this oh, uh, wow I you know growing up with an actor parent in a, in a especially a, a a woman in this business it's so um you know such an up and down life anyway but to be a woman and watch my mom's career go up and down and up and down well, she's been I, in I dozens of things too oh a hundred 800 television shows two two, three, four series, a couple of Emmy nominations. She was the first woman president of the Screen Actors Guild, uh, most notably, oh, which wow. I'm really proud of her about that. 
uh, first woman, pre first woman president of a labor union. She was president of Screen Actors Guild from 72 to 77. But I look back and I go, you know, if I had the sense God gave a donut, I probably would have gone and done something a little bit more sensible, a little bit more practical with my life. But I auditioned for a small role in a movie that she was doing when I was eight. And I got like two lines in this movie, a movie called Limbo that nobody's ever seen. And that was kind of it. I was kind of off to the races. They paid me $50 in cash. I ran off to Toys R Us and bought $50 worth of toys. And I thought, well, this is a pretty good gig. This beats working. And uh, and then I see yeah, I started doing after school specials and commercials and things like that. I wasn't a child actor by any stretch. I didn't. It wasn't like my mom pulled me out of school and and I was a you know I was I was doing television shows. It was sort of like I was just kind of popping around and doing things to see what I would if I liked it and to make a little extra dough. But I didn't really jump into it in earnest until I got out of college. Uh, which it was, which was Duke. Uh, I left Duke in 85, moved to Washington, DC, lived there for three years and started doing theater there and then moved to New York in, uh, in 87 and, um, and started doing off Broadway, off, 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 awful Broadway, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it, you know, whatever I could get my hands on just to get the experience. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're a Duke guy and, um, you know, don't hold it against me, Seth. Well, young young people think uh, that's Syracuse's rivalry, and it's not. Georgetown is, and um, it, it's just it's just funny. Everybody, you know, they'll you'll get these emails from Syracuse. Uh, you know, if you buy season tickets, you get priority seating for the Duke game, and I'm like, Duke, they they, they don't even think we're on their radar. Like they they don't care about us. It, it, that's not what a rivalry is. A rivalry is both teams hate each other. Syracuse might hate might hate Duke, but Duke could care less. They care about Carolina. That's Duke, that's kids, Duke Carolina. About. Yeah, uh, that's a whole that's a whole other conversation for your other podcast about that's right about Duke and and the way that, the way their the way their season ended last year and the way Coach K's season ended last year and how they're doing this year. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been painful and fascinating to watch, but that's uh. That's yeah, another, no secret. another combo. No secret about that. Um, you you were in all kinds of movies. So if you if you don't mind, uh, I'm I'm not going to go in chronological order because we'd be here all day. Oh. But uh, some of these things stuck out like you would not believe. You were on eight episodes of For All Mankind. You were the news anchor that was giving all the alternative news. Yes. Yeah. That, that show is out of that. That show is must watch. Uh, we haven't done an episode of the podcast on it. That show is the kind of show that when new episodes were out, you stopped everything. That show is awesome. Can I tell you something? And and don't tell anybody. And I hope nobody's listening right now. But I've never seen it. Um, no way. I hope I I hope that I hope the producers <laughs> and and Apple aren't aren't listening. I haven't I haven't seen it. I literally I have not gotten around to it. I had a period where knock wood. I I was just going from one thing into another thing into another thing. Um, Again, like really feeling really lucky to have been able to do that. I just have not gotten around to watching it yet. Oh, and uh, I shot all of those eight episodes. I think I did two seasons worth. Um, so the first season I shot, I think I did six episodes in season one. We shot all of those in one day. In one so day, I would imagine, because they're all the scenes of the cutaways. Right. So all of those broadcast scenes we shot in one day and the same with season two. Um but that was a lot of fun. I mean, I love uh, uh, I, I seem to have fallen into this kind of broadcaster vibe 
in the yeah, last yeah. years. Um, <laughs> you know, pl- between Chick and that guy, and uh, yeah. um, I've got an audition tomorrow, oddly enough, to play Jim McKay. Uh, oh no way! A, yeah, in a movie about the Munich Olympics. You played um, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. Yep. Uh, yep. I had to had to take many showers after that one. Um, <laughs> To wash the stink off. The movie, the that's that movie, Bombshell. That's about the uh, Roger great movie. Hills. Yep, yep. Uh, Sean Hannity. Um, yeah, I mean, it, just, uh, oddly enough, a lot of real life people. Be uh, in in addition to yeah, broadcast. Bob Woodward. Yep. Bob Woodward and Joe McCarthy and uh, Tom Delay. You know, it's uh, it's been interesting, and I you know I love, but I love. Uh, I'm a research geek, so I love researching all these guys, and I got to meet I got to meet Bob Woodward when I you know before I oh, played. That's awesome. In, um, I, I had an opportunity to meet Hannity, but I declined. Uh, I, 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 in retrospect, I kind of wish I had, um, cause I heard he's, uh, he's a fun lunch date. I would have loved to have picked his brain, but I, I, I feel like he's, he's such a destructive force in this country. Anyway, it would have been, uh, it would have been disingenuous of me. I but. have such a dumb Sean Hannity story. Go. Uh, when I worked at, uh, ESPN radio, um, the building that we were in down the hallway, Hannity did his radio show. Yeah. And uh, he had just got in it. Atlanta. No, no, no. This is in uh, New York. Uh, he was on WABC. And I remember his producers were always there, but he wasn't because he was doing the radio show from the Fox offices in Midtown. Okay. Because he had just started his Fox TV show and his producers were the nicest human beings I'd ever met. And when my daughter, when when my daughter was born, like I have pictures of them holding my daughter and Mm. I didn't know what show they produced because I didn't care. I Mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, I don't, I'm not the kind of person when you meet somebody, I need to know what your status is. Like, I like you because you're nice and not because of you're an actor, you're, you know, that's the kind of person I am. And then you see what, stories he was covering and i couldn't get over it and then i found them on social media and you know it was a way to keep in touch and then i was like oh my god this is what they're doing and yeah. it, was, it was truly shocking truly, yeah I, I still can't get over it yeah uh yeah. Ap- apologies to sean hannity lovers out there fox fox news viewers um i hope you come to your senses but anyway well for all mankind is uh, I'm gonna watch it tonight, Seth. No, I'm gonna, that is I'm, one of that is, it up. I, no exaggeration. That is one of my top five shows of the 2020s. People like, tell me it's great, and people tell me they they love me on it, and so that's nice. So I should probably watch it. I know that I modeled the guy that I played on that. If I remember, I modeled him after he was sort of loosely based on 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 uh, Roger Mudd, who was uh, okay. NBC broadcaster, newscaster yeah, for I many, many years. Um, so I kind of I tried to get that guy's voice, uh, and you know tried to sort of model him after, uh, you know after Roger Mudd. Um, and there was also the wonderful actor Michael Harney uh, was in it. Also, he played uh, kind of a, a variation on uh, Walter Cronkite, as I recall. And there was sort of a there was a Barbara Walters type. Yep. Um, it's kind of a, it, like the show's like an alternate reality, right? I it's mean, an, it's like, what for for those for this is for the audience as well. Uh, for all mankind is is basically uh, it it tells the story of the space race, but in this story the Soviets land on the moon first. Right, right. So Neil Armstrong and Bulge spoiler alert don't happen. Yeah. Well, no, that's the first episode. That's yeah. That's not even a spoiler. That's like that's the teaser. 
and then what happens in the show is the domino effect of that. Right. And I really, I really need to watch it. Oh, it's I need to watch such it. a good show. Yeah. Um, well, they did what four seasons of it? There's three, and supposedly there's going to be four. Okay. Yeah, and I I've always said a it. lot of people were like DMing me uh, on you know or asking me on Twitter and Instagram and all that yeah, yeah, if sure. I was coming back if I was going to be in season three, <laughs> but they moved but they moved into they went through like from the sixties to the seventies to the eighties. Right, they keep uh, advancing time. Right, right. So my guy would not have lasted that long in yeah know, makes sense. broadcasting. So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, once well, upon I'm glad, a I'm glad you dig it, and I'm going to watch it. Oh my God. I dig it is not the word. It is, it is incredible. Uh, Good. once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. What was that experience uh, like? I was a great listen. I mean, uh, you know, I, to be part of a Tarantino movie, um, what a, what a blast. And, you know, maybe his, uh, allegedly his potentially his second to last movie. He said, he's going to do one more. He's going to do yeah. a 10 mil movie and then he's going to, He's going to hang up his spurs. So, uh, yeah, that was a blast. That was another audition where I went in and and I, I just walked out of there and I thought, this is this is, you know, if I don't get this, uh, yeah, I'd be shocked. But again, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they but read I'm a sure lot. That's happened, right? I'm sure. That's yeah, I just, happened. I just had a great vibe about it. I and it was like six months went by, and I didn't hear a thing, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, and I actually got cast in another movie um i six like six weeks six months had gone by and i had and i auditioned for this movie with kevin costner and i got the movie and it was like and i was literally like had my bags packed to go to north carolina to do this movie i don't even remember what the uh the movie was now about with him but uh and i called my agent and i said hey can you Call the casting director on that Tarantino thing just one more time because I'd probably ask him about fifty-seven <laughs> times. I said, "Can you check one more time?" And he said, "Yeah, okay, one more time. This is the last time I'm going to do it." And he called and he's like, "You're not going to believe this, um, <laughs> but you you're you got it, and you not only did you get it, but you have a costume fitting tomorrow. Like it oh all went God. all went down so fast, and they had to pull me out of the other movie and." uh and and pissed them off uh because i was literally i was getting i was getting on a flight the next day to go do that so they had to pull me out of that thing cast another actor i was not going to give up it, and there was a substantial role uh in in the costner thing and uh not just you know like one scene in the tarantino movie but i thought that's that's a that's a money scene i did not know that's that it was the opening scene of the movie i didn't know that yeah. it I was uh, once I got the job, I was uh, given the opportunity to read uh, the screenplay. If I sat in a locked room and signed away my firstborn male child and uh, signed every kind of NDA you could think of, they would have allowed they would have let me read the script. Uh, the only the last 50 pages, the only cast members that knew how the story ended were Brad Leo and Margot, I think, for uh, and maybe one other person. Um, so the last 50 pages of the script were, um, if you, those of you out there in podcast land, if you've seen the movie, you know, no, no. It, it, the movie has been out for four years. We spoil the crap out of things. on that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. And I was in a bar in Hollywood and there was a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and it's DiCaprio. And he said, Hey dude, I just, uh, I just got done watching the trailer uh for the movie i'm like oh that's great he's like 
you're all over the trailer. And I said, oh, that's <laughs> terrific. Thanks for letting me know. He's like, no, no, you are the trailer. And I said, fantastic. He said, do you know where the scene is in the movie? And I said, no, can you tell me? And he said, well, you want to find out at the premiere or do you want me to tell you? And I said, fucking tell me. And he's like, you open the movie. And I said, well, that's pretty good. So, um, so that made me happy. And, uh, and then, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that movie might've had a little to do with me getting uh, winning time. So everything is, all the dots are connected. It's all cyclical. Yeah, yeah. It's all cyclical. I mean, playing a broadcaster guy in that, and then McKay apparently saw that, and uh, you know, and liked me for Chick Hearn. So it it was a a a, a nice confluence of events, as they say. Well, it, you know, the interesting aspect about it that summer, that twenty nineteen summer, uh, I made a project. You know, I was I was determined to see what streaming services could do. And I said that over that course of that summer, I was going to rewatch the Tarantino movies, watch oh, or no. rewatch. There were all, like all of them. three, three I hadn't seen, but you know, I think it was nine or ten films. And when by doing that, uh, it was it was an amazing thing because every all nine or ten movies were on different streaming services. Oh I think wow! One of them I had to get off iTunes, like it, one of them. And it was it was like a cool project to see, like, could you yeah. find all of them? And, wh um, and which ones did you find? I think, you know what? I think the only one I haven't seen, I'm ashamed to say, but I I don't think I've seen Kill Bill 2. Yeah, I saw I've Kill seen, Bill. I've, yep. I've seen I all have. the other ones. How did how did how did the rewatch hold up for you of all? It of was them? fun. It, it was yeah. really, it was really fun. I think I think for me, I mean, if 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 I was if I was on a if you were pop quizzing me, I, I love Django. I love Bastards. I love obviously Pulp. Yep. Uh, the one the one Jackie that, Brown was really good. Jackie Brown, I Jackie Brown, I loved for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a really quick story. I was doing a play here in LA at the Pasadena Playhouse and Robert Forster was in the play. Oh, wow. Robert Forster was a guy that I admired growing up as a kid who had a great career in the sixties and seventies. Right. And for whatever reason, it just sort of tailed off and he was doing this play with me and he was wonderful. And we had a long conversation one night over dinner after the play. And he's like, yeah, my movie career is pretty much over. Um, and he had a hell of a lovely run for a long time. And for whatever reason, it it just it just kind of petered out. And he said, but I think uh, he said, I, you know, I met I met Tarantino and, he, and he's writing this role for me and uh, and I'm I'm shooting it in a couple of months. And I think it's going to put me back in the ballgame. And lo and behold, um, it did. And like could not have happened to a lovelier guy. I, he he became a really dear friend of mine. And I, I, I miss him a lot. Bob oh, uh, passed away. Yeah, he passed he, away. He was too. in Heroes. We just did a podcast on Heroes. We had uh, yeah, Greg sure. Grunberg. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, but Jackie Brown is a is Jackie Brown's probably my top, probably in my top three. Um, okay. I'd say probably, I'd probably say if I had to rank them, I'd say probably Hollywood, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and then mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then in descending order, I'd go Inglorious Bastards uh Django I love actually I love Kill Bill volume one I just I haven't uh, uh the only one that that really didn't uh you know knock my socks off was uh Hateful Eight I I, I didn't really um it yeah. wasn't you know I I didn't uh that one that one that that one did not work as well for me but um I I certainly admire the craftsmanship well it's funny uh the 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 motivation behind the whole thing was uh I have this I, I call it a sickness 
um, where I'm a completist. Yeah. Means that if I see one thing, I have to see them all. Me too. Me too. So, so that's why I have never seen, for example, Game of Thrones. I never. Neither have, have I. I could. I couldn't. Neither I couldn't have I. I've. I mean, I've seen little bits and bobs of it, but I just. It's not really my jam. It's not really my genre. And for whatever reason, I just never. Uh, I never started it. I've seen little, you know, p- bits and pieces, but I keep I keep wanting to go and try it. And I there's just so many things out there that I uh, I just finished. Believe it or not, I just finished Boardwalk Empire. Oh, um, such a great however, however many years after that went off the yeah. air, so I'm, I'm playing catch up with a lot. I'm watching. I'm about I'm season three into Mrs. Maisel. Now oh, I've, another great show. I got a lot of I got a lot of catching up to do on a lot of other shows. I've been working. I've been busy working. Of course you have. No, um, of course you have. Maisel's a great uh, a, a, yeah. another great show. No, yeah. really I just finished uh, Tulsa King, oh. which I loved. I uh, I got I had my second bout of COVID, unfortunately, oh. uh, about a month ago, and I got on the uh, I got on the Lotus uh, White Lotus. White Lotus. Yeah, I watched all two seasons. Yeah. in like five days of being sick in bed with covid so i got it's that a really out. fun it's a really it's fun a show yeah I, I loved it yeah you don't know where it's going and you're, you're very invested in these people yeah. and it's it's great but once uh, upon a time in hollywood i mean the experience of shooting it was literally like uh an hour i mean it was uh i walked onto the set there's brad there's leo hi hi uh they're smoking a cigarette i hadn't smoked in 15 years and leo is like you want it? Want a want a cigarette? I'm like, I'm not going to say no to you know. Leo's offering me a, a smoke, <laughs> so we're sitting there. I'm you know we're shooting the shit, and one of one of my best memories of that hour, literally an hour shooting that scene uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. I was back in my car at eight fifteen, back on the freeway heading home. But you know, Brad and Leo, Brad Pitt was like, um, and I've I've known both of those guys for you know off and on for a long time, uh, you know, around town, and uh, and they're both great great dudes just real gentlemen, real pros to work with. And Brad was like, I know I've seen you in a million things. Have we ever worked together before? And I said, you probably don't remember this, but you and I were on the last three episodes of Dallas together. Oh, wow. Uh, for you, for you, you youngsters out there, Dallas was like a big nighttime soap opera. It was a big the- show. Yeah. You were on the end of it. On the end of it. And Brad was like a 19, 20 year old kid. One of his first things, this is like five years before Thelma and Louise. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Fucking Dallas. Oh, my God. Yeah. And DiCaprio says, you were on Dallas? And he, yeah, he's like, did you ever do a, a Matlock or a Hunter or a Falcon's Crest? We're talking all of a sudden. I'm talking like to the two biggest movie stars in the world. And they're talking about, you know, how they made their bones doing guest shots. Of course. Uh, which of course. was nice. So that, that kind of put me at ease. And we shot the scene. They shot... They shot close up on him, close up on him, turn around, close up on me. And then Tarantino said, this thing needs a button. It needs an ending. And um, so I came I came up with the ending of uh, the, the sign off. Um, you know, this is Alan Kincaid from Hollywood. Join us next week on the set of uh, the, the what is it? The Phil Silver show or the Maury Amsterdam yeah. show, Dick Van Dyke. And uh, so he let me come up with that uh, tagline, which was oh, a lot. That's of- awesome. Yeah, that's very that cool. That was very cool. Well, I, I could do this all day with you and I don't want, I, I, I respect your time. Um, can I, can I tag you for two quick ones, two guest yeah, spots yeah. Uh, that you did on shows and movies? One is very genre centric and the other one is uh, just an incredible work of art. Let's Let start me guess, with that. Star Trek. Mad Men. Oh, Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, what can you tell me about Matt? I mean, oh a, a great, a great experience. Another great experience. I haven't had. I gotta say, I, I, I wish I there were more had... hours in the day so I could rewatch that. Yeah, I mean, oh, what, a, what a great show that was. I, um, that was a, sh that was a show that every, every actor in town wanted to be on, uh, and those casting directors, uh, I'll give a shout out to Laura Schiff and Carrie Audino. They, um, they cast Mad Men and. Um, uh, just a lot of amazing stuff. They just had a great eye for casting actors that were, if you look at Mad Men, you know, a lot of the guest actors, a lot of the people you saw, there were like not a lot of well-known faces. They found a lot of people that you didn't necessarily really know. I mean, there were a lot of, you know, obviously known just actors. Everybody looked the part. Like nobody everybody looked, looked the part. Place. Everybody looked the part. So uh, John Slattery was an old pal and he was directing the episode. And I went there. I, I think I'd auditioned maybe three or four times for it. And, you know, it was just back then. Played, it was... uh, John Slattery played uh, Tony Stark's father, Howard, uh, in Marvel, in, in Avengers Endgame. Oh, that's right. Sure he did. That's of right. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've known I've known Slattery for a million years. And so, you know, it was uh, getting that show was kind of a feather in every actor's cap. You you know, you had to you had to get a Mad Men. And I'd auditioned four or five times, I guess, and I and I didn't get it. And and uh, Slattery called me, and he's like, "I'm directing this one. Come in and you know, really, really bring your A game." And uh, of course, you know, no pressure there. Yeah, so no I walked in, and there's like 15 guys, and we all knew each other. And um, you know, you know, everybody kind of dressed the part. I came in with a skinny tie and tried to you know look as 1967 as I could. I bet. And um, <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did the read and. Uh, Slattery was sitting next to Matthew Weiner and I looked down when I was done reading and he had a little uh he kind of flipped his thumb up he gave me like a little uh, cool a little, a little thumbs up off to the you know kind of off to the side um and you're, you're uh, a little older than me but Mad Men I would imagine if you lived through that time Mad Men is it must touch a nerve for of the viewer who lived during that time, you know, oh, sure. I was born in the seventies. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not young by any stretch, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm younger than you. And, and just the idea that, you know, watching Mad Men, all I kept thinking is, God, I wanted to experience that time. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see what that was like. I, I knew a lot of those guys. I knew a lot of those kind of those types, those advertising types. Yeah. I worked, I worked in an ad agency, not obviously in the sixties, but in the late eighties, early nineties, um, and that culture was something that he captured really well. Um, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of Don Draper uh, in my dad that I recognized, um, oh, so you cool. know, watching the show. And um, yeah, yeah. so, it, you know, I loved it. And I, you know, getting to work with Christina Hendricks and uh, yep. uh, and, and Lizzie Moss, um, both of whom oh, I knew. And so uh, it was supposed to be more. I think it was supposed to be there was supposed to be more of an arc to it. I was supposed to end up dating uh Joan's character uh jo I was supposed oh, to end wow. up meeting Joan and for whatever reason it didn't go down that road so it was just that one episode but uh you know getting directed by a pal and getting to work on that great show and um I certainly got a lot of good love from that and had a great time it was a great time and another it was just it was one of those things that uh uh a, a nice experience that kind of you know, if you think in terms of like a trajectory of an actor's career and, you know, you get a job like that and it was kind yeah, of like yeah. uh, kind of like a, a step up the ladder, it felt like. So that was nice as well, you know, and and what you know, you want to do everybody's everybody's bringing it so hard. Uh, you want to bring you want to bring your A game. You want to do really good work.
All right, two quickies. Uh, yeah. Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. I, I'm just curious. I mean, the, the Transformers. You know, we, we uh, I've done a couple of Transformers episodes on the podcast. The um the animation the, the animated series and the new Netflix animated series were very very high level. And I'm you know I'm a kid of the '80s, so mm-hmm. the Transformers had great value. Those movies seem like they are not targeted to me. They just seem like they are over my head, and maybe my brain doesn't process them the way I think they are. That, I think you're right. I think you're right, and and for me as well. I and, but as somebody who loved that franchise, I mean, I, yeah. I I thought the Transformers were great. I that that was my thing growing up. But my goodness, those movies are harsh. It was fun to work on. I mean, it was a couple of weeks, and you know, but did I was you talk acting. To any robots? A, did you do? No, I was acting with a. We were all acting with a a, a tennis ball on a on yeah, a stick, a green screen. Okay. Uh, no robots. Um, I mean, I was in like in the war room with all the military guys, yep. and uh, got to work with my buddy, snack. my buddy Glenn Morshower, who, who, who's probably played nine thousand military guys. A redheaded guy. He was the he was the uh, the, the the army captain. Um, so fu- it was fun to get to work with him. We did Air Force One together 20 years before that. So, oh, cool. uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a fun experience. I, and I also, it was fun to see, uh, it's fun to see Shia, to see Shia LaBeouf, who I did a movie called Bobby with him, uh, when he was a teenager and it was fun to see him kind of blow up into a movie star. Yeah. Uh, he's, oh, yeah. he's had an interesting career, but yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, I think, I, I think I've seen it. I think I saw it once. I think I saw Transformers. Which was it? Two, three? Which one was I in? I could put a gun in my head. I couldn't tell. Transformers you. two. I think it was two. Um, I went to the premiere and I haven't seen it since. So, but I had a good. Yeah. I had a good time. I had a, a good time. It was a good experience. Residuals are nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I bet. Uh, the uh, last but not least, and this is one that uh, in the history of the podcast, uh, it had a whole thing to do with Marvel. You were in Iron Man three. Yeah. So the funny part about Iron Man three is. My wife used to work for Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I've told this story on the podcast before. Um, Pre-COVID, we always used to go to the the New York City screenings. Like we would go to the friends and family screenings. And there'd be somebody from the film or somebody from Marvel there. And, you know, it was a big networking thing for her. She left on great terms. When uh, Disney bought Marvel, they moved to L.A. and we weren't moving. And uh, that was the end of that. Iron Man 3 we saw like three weeks early and I ripped it on the podcast (laughs) Uh, because I thought it was an insult to comic book fans that the Mandarin the big bad in the movie was an alcoholic actor like it was I again like I you're a comic book guy um so was did they um did they did they mess with the uh the Mandarin no, yeah. So what they did with the Mandarin was, you know, it was it was the big bad. And if you ever read an Iron Man comic book, he uh-huh. was his, he was his an close actual to bad the, guy. Well, he was as close to the Joker as there would be. Oh, okay. He was he was the arch enemy of Iron Man, and you know, I was the guy. I mean, egg on my face. I was the guy. This is way before I created this podcast, but. Um, when my wife worked for Marvel, uh, she came home one day and said they're going to finance their own movie. And I said, Oh, that's pretty bold. And she said, it's going to be on Iron Man. And this mm-hmm. is, this is months before Robert Downey Jr. Or John Favreau got attached to it. Yeah. And I said, Oh my God, that's such a dumb idea. I said, <laughs> I said, 
the egg was all over my face. I said, have you ever read a good Iron Man comic? And I didn't know. I mean, she didn't read comics. And I said, and look, look on animation. There's never been a good Iron Man animated anything. And I said, how are they doing this? And what the first Iron Man was, was revolutionary in that it tweaked the origin of the character to make it relevant. Okay. And it did a great, and it did a great job. So that you didn't need to know the history. So now you have the Mandarin, and the Mandarin's a goofy villain, but it's there. That's that, that's Iron Man's villain. Hey, you're 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 uh you're talking you're out of my wheelhouse on all that stuff, man. I I I I, I know, I but it's just so funny that you were in Iron Man three. The one, I mean, I am a P one for this stuff. I gush for this Marvel stuff, but oh my goodness, Iron Man three. Well, I I mean, it's a it's a bittersweet tale for me because I was actually originally cast as the president uh oh. in that movie um and i was i mean i i i auditioned to play the president and yeah. i was you know, marvel signed off on me and uh downey's an old friend and i was ready to go bags were packed again <laughs> i always keep a bag by the door yeah uh, clearly you have a bag I, packed right now see. i got a bag i do have a backpack right now that's because i just came back from i uh, just came back from new york so um, I always have a bag either packed or right, in the you were doing theater, right? Yeah, I went back. I went well, I went back to do a I went back to do a play. Uh so I just got back from that. But yep. um I, yeah, so I, I I usually have a bag by the door that's either in in a in in a various states of packing or unpacking. But I got I got cast that's as a awesome. president and then like a week before I was gonna fly to Wilmington to uh uh to do the film uh the director shane black called me up and he said are you sitting down and i went oh what and he said well they went back and looked at your audition like i my deal was closed i was ready to go and he's like well you um they think that you just have too much of a baby face to play now this is 2000 what 2007 six something like that five 2013 2013 iron man iron man three three Iron Man 3 came out in 2013. So you're probably having this. Iron Man 2 came out in 2010. Okay. All right. So it came out in 2013. 2011 or 2012. That's right. Okay. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So we shot it in 2011. Um, And so, yeah, basically, long story short, you look too young and they want to recast and they need somebody with more gravitas in their face and um, just an older actor. So they went with a... They paid me for the job um, and they got Bill Sadler um, and and Shane said, I'm going to put you in the movie one way or the other. And so he ended up cast me as the uh, as the sheriff uh, who ends up getting killed by, uh, you know, by uh, uh, Stephanie Shostak's character. Mm -hmm. And so I was down there. I was down there for a month and I worked about three or four days and had a blast. Um, Downey was a great collaborator. Um, but yeah, it would have been, it would have been more fun to play the president, but, um, that's, uh, you know, that's how the, that's how the cookie crumbles. And unfortunately, because of that, I am not allowed to do any other Marvel jobs. I cannot appear in any other film or television show. That is the, that is the the rule. Like that's your place in the the Marvel on high. Once you, once you've appeared on camera in a Marvel film, you cannot out of here. Yeah. So that's a bummer. There've been a lot of other, obviously agents of shield. I could never do any of those. Yeah. Um, any other Marvel film I'm not allowed to uh, even audition for. So that's agents a, that's of a- shield. I used to call my uh, homework assignment 
because uh, I was a completist. It's my curse here. Yes. Uh, and so it, it because it was part of the Marvel Universe, I had to see every episode of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And they would put out 24 in a year, like 24 episodes. And you'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That was a that was a I used to call that my big homework assignment, um, but it paid off at the end. Um, yeah. But I love I love being a part of it. I mean, regardless of, of how that worked out, uh, love being a part of the film. And uh, oh, it's that's your place in Marvel in the Marvel. Yeah. Movie. You know, and I, and, and I also got to uh, uh, I they got called to it be- back. That kid that kid grew up and they put him at uh, in the Tony Stark funeral. At the end of right. Avengers, Ty, Ty Simpkins, I think his name was, and they Great. and they like they 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 pay that off. They pay that. Yeah, he's still working. He's still he's uh, he's a he's a an adult now, and he's and he's working. He's a terrific actor. Um, but I also I got to be uh, very good friends with uh, um, uh, Stephanie uh, Showstack on that, uh, and uh, James Badge Dale, are the, who who played the two kind of aliens, the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we became pals. Stephanie and I did a series about three years after that called Satisfaction. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a nice, it was a nice experience. That's awesome. That's, uh, that, that's, that's very, that's very cool. You know, you, you've, you've referenced auditions and agents. And as we kind of put a bow on this, um, one thing that, you know, I used to have an agent, I, I don't anymore. Um, and I remember an agent, an old agent telling me that the best way to explain the audition process is if you and I both like Corvettes, and you like a black one and I like a red one. The red one's not better than the black one. It's just personal preference. Mm-hmm. That's what auditions is. That's what casting is. It doesn't mean that one actor's better than the other actor. It just means that one ticks a box. That's in pretty that accurate. One person. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, um, Brian Cranston has a great uh, kind of philosophical take on it about... Um, you know, about actors, because he's been he's somebody who's a role model to me and he's become a dear friend. And uh, just watching his career as a, he's just a journeyman character actor who kind of like who kind of like hit in his 50s, um, you know, when he got Malcolm in the Middle and then went from Malcolm in the Middle to the greatest role he's ever had. And one of the greatest TV shows of all time, obviously, sure. in Breaking Bad. And, you know, Brian says, um, I made I learned at a certain point that I was making the mistake of thinking that I was going into the audition to get the job. You know, actors go in to, to read in a room full of strangers to get the job. Um, and he said, once I, once I got rid of that, uh, once I got rid of that and disabused myself of that, you know, uh, that, that, uh, ethos, I realized that, you know, I was just there to, I was there to go in, do a job and then, and let it go and, and let the chips fall where they may. You can't, you can't think because you, if you, if you go in thinking that you are trying to get something, you give away your power. Um, And so it's, uh, and I, and I wish, I wish I'd, I'd wish I'd, I wish I'd learned that myself long ago. Cause you know, I, you know, auditioning hundred for hundreds and hundreds of things. And um, I mean, now it's, now it's a little bit different, but, um, but learning, learning from somebody like that about uh, it's, it's, it's not about you when you go into read uh, now, there are no more in-person auditions. I don't know whether you know, but like the, the, the actual, the act of the audition itself is, 
you know, we put ourselves on tape now and send the tape into the yep. casting director. There's it's not no even more. a tape. It's like a file. It's an MPEG. Yeah, it's a file. It's a link. You you know, somebody films you and you send the link and uh, and you and you and you let it go and you stop thinking, well, what if uh, what if what if I uh, what if I'd only done this differently? You know, you you have to um, you have to realize that it's not it's not about you. Um, sometimes they wanted the guy with the, the light brown hair instead of the dark brown hair. That's right. And it can be something simple like that. And you can't let it get to you because it's such an arbitrary, it's such an arbitrary, such an arbitrary thing. No, it's fascinating. Your career is fascinating. I'm so glad that through the magic of social media and the Jeff Perlman podcast, we got a chance to know each other. How how great is Jeff Perlman, by the way? What a great dude he is. Yeah, great guy. I mean, I just, I just love that. His best book, by the way, his best book is not uh, the Laker book. The Laker book's great. Uh, His best book is the one. No, no. The USFL. Oh, Football for a buck. Oh, oh no, I don't think I've read that. I just finished the Bo Jackson book, which is also. Great. Yeah, yeah. We just had we, I had him back on Sports with Friends for Bo Jackson. Um, His Bo Jackson stories are, are wild. He's but amazing. The, the USFL I, story and the yeah. stories, the stories about Trump are hysterical. I got to get that book. I got to read yeah. that book. Yeah. Football for a buck. It's the story. Such a great, USFL. such a great guy. I saw him last week. We had the rap party for winning time. And I said for season two. For season two, uh, yeah. we finished, we wrapped last week and Jeff, uh, Jeff was there. And I said, uh, yeah, you know, thanks, thanks for being born. Uh, <laughs> if he wasn't born, he wouldn't have written Showtime and I wouldn't be on this. Uh, the best gig I've ever had. It's just, it's, a, it's just been a dream job. So that's awesome. Um, that's yeah. awesome. Congratulations on all your success. Thanks, man. Uh, let's make a deal. Uh, when winning time premieres, when season two premieres, you come back. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll Absolutely. break down the episodes. We'll do a whole review. It's a great show. And I will have finished. Uh, I think it's for all possible. mankind. You have to watch for all. Mankind. I will watch all. I will have watched for all mankind when we do this again. Um, I'm not allowed to say when Winning Time season two is coming out because I don't really know yet. But I, I, I hear it's down the road. Um, and I will. And I've I will have this finished. Year. Huh? Sometime, sometime this year, mm-hmm. I will have finished uh, an eight episode. Uh, series for Shonda Rhimes uh, called The Residence. Uh, hey. a, white, a little White House murder mystery for Netflix. Nice. Uh, so uh, I start right. that next week, so that'll be fun. So we can talk about that. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Well, let's keep in touch. You have an open invitation to come back on the podcast. And Thanks, Seth. Here in New York, we got to do lunch or a beer or something. But yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm in the city all the time. So yeah, that would be fun. That would be great. That would be great. Uh, Spencer, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Seth. Spencer Garrett, my friends, that was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening. This was a really fun, wide-open podcast. Next week, we're going to return to reviews. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. That's our next episode. Brian Tong is going to rejoin the show. We're going to see the film. We'll do a spoiler-filled review for Ant-Man and the Wasp. I have to believe Spencer would not be the guy to do that podcast. But he did this one, and he was great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. We'll see you next week. Believe it or not.